How many dates do I have to go on to find someone normal? I'm just so tired of feeling this way. What do you think I should do? My name is Laura. I'm a dating and relationship therapist and your host of Emotionally Available. Together, we are about to embark on a spiritual journey to unpack modern dating culture, relational patterns, and mental health. Let's get into it. All right, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Emotionally Available. This is going to be the last episode before the podcast goes on a bit of a hiatus. So you guys know if you follow me on Instagram that there's been a lot going on in these last few months. This episode is finally going to catch you up to speed on everything that's been happening in my life from recent health discoveries to new insights that came to the surface and a major life update that's happening just four days from now. So this episode is for everyone who's ever felt like they're doing every possible thing they can to take care of themselves, yet the things just don't seem to be working. I hear you, I see you, and man, can I relate to you. Let's get into it. So recently, I have been struggling with my health. I opened up about this on my Instagram stories recently. I've been experiencing really extreme fatigue, dizziness, lethargy, brain fog, and just general unwell feelings on a daily basis. Needless to say, I am not sleeping. Um, I have started sleeping again, which is really, really great, but I wasn't sleeping for like a month. Um, I would be up really, really late, just couldn't fall asleep, and then I would be waking up periodically throughout the night and even if I did sleep through the whole night, I would have lucid dreams. It was pretty intense um, and I felt like I wasn't resting. So thinking about my health and my symptoms, um, I have a pretty good idea of, or I had a pretty good idea of what was going on for me at the time. My entire paternal side in my family is diabetic. So it was just kind of assumed that at some point in my life, I will develop diabetes regardless of how hard I work to reverse it or not, because it is significantly genetic. So I started tracking my blood sugar because for those of you who don't know, I've been at my parents these last few months since I got back from South America um, in, in light of this upcoming transition, but I'll, I'll save that for later. Um, so my dad and I started tracking my blood sugar because he tracks his blood sugar every day because he is diabetic. So with that, we were noticing that when my symptoms were the worst, my blood sugar was a bit elevated. I wasn't particularly in the high range. There were definitely times where I was in the high range, but I was definitely in the pre-diabetic range. And this was upon fasting. So this was the first thing in the morning when I would wake up in the morning, I would feel this wave of nausea. I would feel dizzy. I would feel the brain fog. I would feel the fatigue and it would wash over me and I wasn't exactly sure what was happening. And even as I'm saying this, it's happening now. (laughs) Like I feel it right now trying to come up and I don't feel great. When we started tracking my blood sugar, I started making changes to my diet. I started making changes to my exercise and I live a generally healthy life. So it's not like I had to change a whole lot in my life, but there were definitely changes that I needed to make throughout the day in terms of what I was eating and when I was eating it and how close to bed I was eating it 
and things like that, right? My favorite Starbucks drink, I learned that they cut the matcha with half sugar, which is very, very alarming for those of you who don't know. Um, so I had to stop drinking that first thing in the morning and go back to, I would, when I ran out of my matcha from Clever Blends, I would go to Starbucks. Um, now I have to just be better about ordering it from Clever Blends on time. But I mean, starting my day with a sugary beverage wasn't the best thing for me if I was diabetic, because that's then telling my system, this is our baseline of blood sugar for the day. So I'm constantly trying to match this elevated level of blood sugar. When I finally went to the doctor, I say finally, this was only a span of like one month. Um, I wanted to track my blood sugar a bit more before I went to see the doctor because we were pretty sure as to what was going on. So I went to see my family doctor, got the blood work, everything came back normal. (laughs) And the A1C is supposed to test your blood sugar over three months. My A1C was definitely on the higher end of the spectrum within the, within normal limits, but it still wasn't high enough to qualify me for a diagnosis of diabetes. We are going to test again in September and see if that A1C level changes because I could just be at the very start of my diabetic journey and I could have caught it really, really early. I am very in tune with my body. So even the slightest shifts do not go unnoticed. I absolutely notice them in my body. Um, but my doctor and I had a very real and honest conversation. So this is a family doctor. He works with literally every single person in my family and has for years. He's very invested just in me and my own journey and is constantly checking in on me. He's a great, great family doctor. Um, and he knows that I'm a therapist, obviously. And so he approached me and not in a typical, I don't believe you, gas lady, your symptoms are all in your head type way, like most doctors do approach women. I won't say most doctors, a lot of doctors do approach women that way. He approached me and said, you know, you're the expert in this. Do you think maybe it could be psychological? And we had a very honest conversation. And he said, you know, I know you're at your parents' house right now. I know you're looking forward to what's next. But do you think this transition has been hard for you? I mean, you just came back from months of travel in South America. You were completely on your own before that you were living in New York. And I said, you know what? Now that you say that, it could be, right? And I'm a therapist, so I'm really tuned in to mental health symptoms. My mental health symptoms are typically somatic. So somatic meaning physical or in the body. I struggled with really significant depression a few years ago, um, and it was more, I describe it as a depression of the body because mentally, was I unhappy? Absolutely. But I didn't lose like my will to live. I didn't lose interest in daily life. I just physically couldn't do all of the things. So it was like a really, really, really extreme form of burnout. And it started with burnout and then led to a deeper depression. Burnout is like the pipeline to depression. My family also struggles with significant anxiety and depression across the lifespan. And while I'm not a typically anxious person, I do struggle with depression on and off. Um, This was the worst bit or worst episode of it in my entire life two years ago. This was when I started medication and medication resolved my symptoms in literally two days because my symptoms were all physical. 
mentally, I was able to stay present during the times that I wanted to stay present. I was able to feel good every other day, right? Like there were moments of the day where I had glimpses of just good, for lack of better words. This time around, I definitely do feel a bit more unhappy, right? I do feel like the day-to-day is a bit harder for me mentally, but my symptoms are all in line with the symptoms that I had two years ago. So since then, I've doubled my dose of my antidepressant and I'm waiting for this transition that's happening on Friday. And my doctor and I are going to check in and just see how my symptoms are doing in September, right? See if it really was depression and if my physical symptoms have resolved or do the labs again and see if it's my A1C, see if it's my blood sugar, see if it's diabetes. Um, and he's also going to run some other labs as well to see if maybe he missed anything. So this is just a reminder for all of you guys out there that if you're doing all of the things and they're not working, it's not you, right? There's nothing wrong with you. There's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Maybe you just haven't figured out what it is yet, but it doesn't mean that there's something intrinsically wrong with you. I'm a therapist, right? You would think therapists know when their mental health starts to decline, but we're really good at tricking ourselves because our body and our nervous system don't want us to feel like there's something wrong with us. So this is your sign to check in. Keep adding tools to your toolbox. I went through every single one of my coping skills, just begging for them to work. I developed new coping skills, right? I was constantly in this pattern of trial and error, trying to figure out what will work and what won't work. My typical day-to-day coping skills have not worked in months. I haven't meditated in two months. I physically cannot sit inside of my own thoughts right now (laughs) because my thoughts just generally aren't great. So meditation is not a great option for me right now. Journaling, on the other hand, has been really helpful when helpful and really not when not, right? There are days when I can't go down the thought spiral in my journal because it just provokes these really heavy and intense unwanted feelings. So this is a great opportunity to slide into part two, which is the new insights that came through. I had a moment where I was feeling like I was not important. Something happened with friends and my deepest core belief was triggered. Of course, it really had nothing to do with my friends. Was I upset? Was I frustrated? Absolutely. But Was I actually not important? Were they communicating to me or making me feel like I was not important? No, that was a core belief that was just triggered. So I'm journaling about it and I'm journaling about the people that were involved and I'm journaling about a chapter in my life that I had closed a long time ago. We're talking 2019. Um, And I ended a potential relationship, something that could have offered me everything that I had ever wanted in a partner, in a relationship, in my life, and I just ended it. Um, I was moving to New York City, so there was like obviously a major transition coming up. Uh, This person did not live in New York City, so it definitely would have complicated things further, and for anyone who lives in New York City or who has ever lived in New York City, 
as a single woman, you know that there is a single girl summer in New York City uh, that first summer that you move there. It is quite the experience if you haven't had it. Um, I don't know if I would be able to do that again mentally, physically, and emotionally, (laughs) but I'm glad that I did it at that stage in my life. But as I'm journaling about throwing this relationship away, essentially, I had these thoughts about the relationship right before that. So two relationships before that, I was in my abusive relationship. The relationship after my abusive relationship, this was about a year after that relationship, after my abusive relationship, I will be very transparent. I went into that relationship with the mentality of, I just want to prove to myself that I can date someone after the abuse. This is not the mentality to go into a relationship with. If you've been in an abusive relationship, please heal before you do this. You are going to hurt the other person like a freaking wrecking ball. But not even that, that person is going to hurt you in response. There is something called reactive abuse. So when you are in an abusive relationship, what happens is you need to learn to protect yourself. I learned to protect myself by completely cutting off and dissociating, but I also learned to protect myself by retaliating. I retaliated verbally because that what was, is what was taught to me in my childhood home. There was a lot of verbal manipulation going on, a lot of yelling, a lot of name calling, a lot of hurtful things just being thrown around. And that is exactly what I did in this relationship. So while I was in my abusive relationship, I didn't realize that it was abuse because a lot of it mimicked the patterns that I experienced during childhood. And this is really common for people who experience abuse. Typically, if the household is unstable, if the household is chaotic, if the household is dysregulated, these children grow up thinking that this is the norm. This way of behaving is the norm, right? It's the baseline. So when I was in an abusive relationship with a partner who started degrading with me, with a partner who had intense jealousy and would scream at me or who would take their anxiety out on me. This was the norm. I didn't think anything of it. And my nervous system was so attached to the hot and cold, to that push and pull dynamic that I was stuck. I was literally locked in there like I was glued to it. While journaling about this experience with my friends, feeling like I'm not important, this relationship right after my abusive relationship came up. So this relationship ended because, and I quote, my ex said to me during an argument, and this was nothing even close to an argument like in my abusive relationship. This was just a normal argument, typical conflict within a relationship. He said, I understand why your ex-boyfriend killed himself. So my abusive ex-boyfriend ended the relationship with me in September. He actually ended it. I did not. And then I moved to Italy in January. I quite literally had to leave the country to escape the mental chaos that was happening in my mind. And shortly thereafter, in March, so three months later, he committed suicide. 
I never actually processed this. A lot of that realization came up while I was journaling that night. But I also realized that I felt responsible for his death because my ex communicated that to me, right? He said, I understand why your ex-boyfriend killed himself. That stuck with me. And it's quite honestly the worst thing that someone has ever said to me. Um, Obviously, I am not the reason why someone killed themselves, especially when they were the abusive partner in the relationship. Um, And especially given the hell that they put me through, I could not possibly have been the reason that they committed suicide. And yet my nervous system held on to that and my emotions held on to that as fact, right? Logically, I can separate it out and say, you know what? That wasn't me. I wasn't responsible for that. But in an attempt to process it or not, right, (laughs) I shoved it down. I pretended like it didn't happen. And so now in 2023, that is what, 20, 21, 22, four years later, three years later? I don't even know at this point. No, my abusive relationship ended in 2017. What am I saying? (laughs) This was like six years ago. Uh, I moved to New York in 2019. Okay. In 2017, I shoved it down and I repressed it. And I pretended like none of it happened. My best friend at the time, ironically, who I was journaling about um, the other day, not the other day, however long ago, when I was journaling about feeling not important, my best friend called me to tell me the news while I was in Italy. And I will never forget this phone call. He said, are you sitting down? Because I think you should be sitting down for this conversation. And like any other person who gets news like that, they don't sit down. They pace around the room. So I walked out. I was staying with a family. I had just arrived in Italy. I was about to move into my own apartment, but I was still with the family at this point. And I walked out of the room and stood on the balcony on Corso Sempione in Milan. I was overlooking literally the entire city of Milan. This Corso Sempione is the road, the main road in Milan. I was overlooking the entire city and my best friend says to me, your ex killed himself. I'm obviously de-identifying for privacy of his family. Um, And I didn't answer. I just stayed on the phone and finally a minute or two goes by and I say, okay. And he asks me if I'm okay. And I say, I'm okay. And that was it. We stayed on the phone in silence for about five more minutes. And then I said I was going to bed because it was the middle of the night for me in Italy. And I did not really address it any further than that. I did not fly home for his funeral, um, which I think in hindsight was still a good decision. And I stayed in Italy. I don't remember a lot of my time in Italy because I was so dissociated. The brain fog set in. I just have very few conscious memories of that time in my life as well as my abusive relationship. So while the abuse was still really present in my mind when I was in Italy, it no longer is. There's a lot that I just don't remember. And perfect example Right, that conversation with my ex who said, I understand why your why your ex killed himself. 
I didn't really remember that conversation either. That came up recently in the last few years, and it came up as a result of the work that I've been doing in my own life with my therapist, and that's what happens when you tend to dissociate, right? You repress all of these memories, and then they start to float back when you really start to heal and do the work. And what I've noticed in my own life and in my work with clients, these memories don't float back until you're ready to hold to them until you're ready to really dive deeper and learn more about them. So this responsibility instinct fed into my serial dating because my ex said this to me in August. I ended my relationship. I walked out of his house and I never spoke to him again. Um, And I moved to New York City in May. And when I moved to New York City, I serial dated like it was my job I was going on anywhere from one to two dates a week and at least four dates a month and I did this for about six months really until winter and I was freezing cold and I didn't want to go out on dates anymore um and I now realize through journaling that I was dating to acquire data quite frankly the more people that I dated that did not end up with depression that did not end up with anxiety that did not harm themselves or attempt suicide that meant that I couldn't possibly have been responsible for my ex's death did it work no (laughs) because I didn't even know what it was that I was trying to prove to myself at the time. My awareness was not there. My awareness is there now, and now I can approach that properly and actually heal from it. Part three is sliding into a completely different topic, but also kind of related, is I am going back to New York. I have never known New York as a healed person. (laughs) I'm like laughing as I say it, but also like kind of crying. (laughs) I've never known New York as a healed person. I moved to New York and I serial dated. I was a mess. And then the pandemic hit and we were all a mess. And then I went, it got into a relationship for two and a half years That was unhappy after the first. I should have left after one year in, and I didn't. I was also in the midst of changing careers, which is why I didn't leave. My life was so unstable in so many other areas that I needed the stability of my relationship, even though it was becoming really unhappy. When my relationship ended, we were living together, so... I would have had to move out of the apartment because I couldn't afford to stay in that apartment, which ironically, the apartment I'm going into now is almost the same amount of money. I'm just in a very different position financially, Uh, but I had to move out. So that was a part of the big reason why I went to South America because it was cheaper. I could afford to live. I was able to travel and I miss traveling You guys know I had just gone to Norway and I spent most of September in Norway and then that's actually what encouraged me to end my relationship. 
Um, and I wanted to travel again. I really missed it. And I love who I am when I travel. And I was really eager to get back to that person because I felt more like my authentic self. And when my relationship ended and I realized that I was going to have to approach New York without my relationship, without that safety and that security of the familiarity, I was terrified And this is not an awareness that I had in that moment. This is an awareness that came up after the fact. This came up pretty much about the same time that the awareness of this past relationship that I passed up, this responsibility instinct for my ex-boyfriend's death, these awarenesses all came up pretty much around the same time, within the same week. And my health was at its worst that week. So if you know anything about the mind-body connection, it's quite possible that my body was trying to tell me to just sit and to process and to explore. And that's exactly what I did. I then spent a weekend in, in New York and I was in Brooklyn specifically. Every time I had gone to New York City before then, Since I've been back from South America, I had really only been in Manhattan, and Manhattan just doesn't do it for me anymore. (laughs) I mean, if you've made the move to Brooklyn, you totally understand where I'm at. If you haven't made the move to Brooklyn, you're probably like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, Manhattan just doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. Love the West Village, love Greenwich Village, but don't want to live there anymore. Um, Brooklyn, on the other hand, is just so much more quiet so much more calm. You don't get lost in the shuffle of New York City and you don't really get caught in the grind. And I'm not in the grind anymore. Am I grinding in my life? Absolutely. But I'm also balancing the grind with self-care. I'm balancing the grind with holistic health. I'm not contributing or participating in the New York City hustle culture anymore. I can't handle it. It's not sustainable. And it's just not for me. It doesn't align with my higher self. And this, that weekend when I had spent the whole weekend in Brooklyn, I really remembered what it was that I missed about New York City. My best friend lives in Brooklyn now, and I got to walk around with her for literally hours. And this is a friend that I lived with during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, we would walk for like 10 miles every day and just talk because there was nothing else to do. We would pick an area of the city, we would take the train to it because transportation was still running in the city, and we would just walk. And we would literally walk for 10 miles and grab a coffee to go or something and just chat. And I really missed that. I really missed spending time with my friend. I didn't spend a lot of time with my friends in that last year that I was in the city because I was changing careers, right? I was finishing my master's degree. I was also in a relationship and we just turn naturally a bit more inward when we're in a relationship. So it was really great to spend that one-on-one time with my best friend. I really missed her and I didn't realize how much I missed her. And I also just really missed Brooklyn. And it was after that that I realized maybe all of these signs that I've been getting are just signs to stay in Brooklyn, right? Signs to go back to the city. I've been getting invited to in-person events. I've been getting emails about hosting events. I've been making a lot more connections professionally in the city. I've been making more friends in the city. And I think it's just time. 
to go back. My business is growing on the East Coast and it doesn't make sense to continue to uproot myself. But not only that, is it a dream to live and do van life and travel remotely and be a bit of a nomad across the states and see all the national parks? Absolutely. But that was also an attempt for me to escape, right? It was an attempt for me to run away from my reality, kind of like South America was. And if you guys remember one of my, I think it was actually my first guest episode with Jess Panilli, who Jess and I now have a podcast together. I talked about going to South America and I said, this is going to be a spiritual journey for me. I'm not going to run away. Hindsight 2020, I was going to run away, right? Was it a spiritual, spiritual journey for me? Absolutely. But I was also running away. And I just want to remind everyone that it's okay to change your mind. It's literally okay to go back on a decision that you made and not let others down. Nobody cares what it is that you do with your life. And yet, We attach so much weight to what others think because we think everyone's thinking about us. Nobody's thinking about us. When I told my friends, when I told my family that I was moving back to New York, everyone was so excited because I was going to stay nearby. (laughs) Nobody was disappointed. The only people who were disappointed were my friends out on the West Coast who were really looking forward to me possibly moving out to California. Everyone else was so happy for me. And that's just the reality, right? The reality is that we think everyone else is thinking about us, but nobody actually cares. They don't. And that's okay. And so at the end of the day, you need to do what's best for you. You need to make decisions that are best for you. And you need to watch out for you because nobody else is watching out for you right? That's your job. You need to watch out for you. And it is so important that you do. With this, I'm going on a hiatus because I am moving to New York on Friday. And I can't believe it. I literally took off on Thursday so that I can finish packing because I am nowhere even close to being ready to move on Friday. So I will be back on Friday. My content on Instagram will shift to a bit more of my new daily routine, adjusting to life back in the city, coming up with my new daily routine, and just a bit more lifestyle content. I am renting a, an amazing one-bedroom right near Prospect Park, and I just can't wait to show you guys the apartment. I mean, it is going to be so awesome to furnish this apartment and to watch it all come together with just me. I had lived in a one bedroom before, but I only lived in that one bedroom for about a month until I met my ex and we moved in together because we spent pretty much that whole summer together um, because it was the pandemic. And after the summer, it just didn't make sense for me to stay in my really small one bedroom. And we found a little bit of a bigger apartment together. So this is going to be my first time really living completely on my own. And I'm excited for that. And I'm going to keep it that way for at least a full lease. (laughs) I'm not moving in with a partner. Even if I meet someone, I'm not moving in until this lease ends. So here's to new adventures. Here's to this next chapter. 
And here's to making decisions that are best for us and not for others. I will see you guys again in the fall and I can't wait to return. Thank you.